0: And what is up, welcome in, Wes Mitchell here, Chris Clark, GC Live, another Monday edition of the show, Gamecocks are on a roll, four straight wins, South Carolina defeating Texas A&M on Saturday night, Williams-Price Stadium. 30-24, 30-24, to 24. Uh, we're going to dive right into it. We'll tell you a little bit about Clint a little bit later on. Uh, shout out to everybody already hopping in the chat. Um, we're, we're a little bit low on the numbers compared to what I expected, but I feel like it's going to gather, it's going to game as the show goes on. Or maybe they're just used to me starting at 2.03 instead of right at 2 o'clock. But uh, Chris, man, um, we got a lot to get to on this one because there's so many different ways we can take it. So we'll start general, then we'll dive in as we go. Um, your big picture, just initial gut feel thoughts uh, coming off of South Carolina's massive win over texas a and i A&M.
1: I'm going to go really big picture, man. Um, just looking at this game, obviously it's kind of the, the elephant in the room was the fact that South Carolina had, of course, lost. Eight straight games to AM and the games lately have not been competitive, including in Shane Beamer's first season. So you're able to get your first win against a which is significant. You're able to break that streak. You're able to break through with, uh, you know, performing much better than you have. I think that's what a lot of Gamecock fans are looking for in this season. Hey, even even in your losses, which you expect to take this year. You want to see more competitiveness, and I think that's why people were so disappointed with the Georgia game, for instance, earlier this year. South Carolina is competitive. They win. They break that streak. Then you look at the fact, Wes, this is still a big picture thought to me. You know, you do it right after beating Kentucky. So you look last season, you didn't really stack a lot of really good moments in that year. You would have some highs and some lows. Like you just said, they're kind of on a roll, four straight. You're able to follow up a huge win over Kentucky, which was also cathartic. Like, you break a streak there. You play well on the road. All these different things. Now you followed it up with another strong performance and a great atmosphere. Um, the third thing, big picture thought, is now you're sitting at five wins. You have a couple games coming up that were among your most winnable coming into this year. And so you now have an opportunity to go get bowl eligible for the second year in a row. Shane Beamer would be two for two in his first two years. And I think that's an important step for this team as well.
0: Yeah. You know, I think a lot of times, man, people want to see that linear improvement and we normally have to remind them, we have to say, look, even if, even if you are going to end up being a successful program and even if a coach is going to build it up, you know, a lot of times it's more like this, you know, it's, it's not actual linear, linear improvement, but right now, you know, the way this season has played out, you know, we were talking about this on the 107.5 show, you're seeing, I don't want to say it's necessarily completely linear, like, um, you know, a perfect 45-degree uh, angle, but it has been, I would say, consistent improvement throughout the year. As you said, you got, you got two just big boulders off your back by ending the Kentucky streak. Now you end the AM streak. And um, we're not going to get into Missouri too much yet at all. We got all week for that. But I will say this, it is kind of interesting how it is set up in that you got the uh, Kentucky streak ended, you know, just such a, to beat them the way they did, I think mattered a lot. Now you beat A&M for the first time. Now I think you have an opportunity to do something that since I have been following this program has always plagued South Carolina. And that's dealing with some success going into a game you're now supposed to win. So uh, I think that's another opportunity for the Gamecocks coming up. But today we're talking about A&M and the big win. Let's go ahead and get it out of the way, Chris. I picked A&M to win the game. So was wrong on that one? Happy to be wrong. I love when we get to do this show and Gamecock fans are excited. They're always passionate. But I like it much more. It's much more fun when they're positive and have good things to talk about. Gamecocks, um, and and kudos to the fan base, man, because uh, y'all, you know, Carolina made the plays, but y'all willed them to a win, and I got a question for you, Chris, so I am almost always at the home games, um, so I, I was not at this game, and I normally don't do the press box thing, I sit in the stands, I like the atmosphere, um, we had a death in the family, so rest in peace, my Aunt Bonnie, uh, I was at the funeral on Saturday, watched the game from home, it looked incredible on TV. But you were sitting there, and you've been sitting at a ton of games throughout your life. Where where was this one um, as far as overall atmosphere, and where was this one when Xavier Leggett pieced out, one shoe and all, taking it to the house, um, and try not to be a prisoner of the moment. Like, there's been some, there's been some, you know, Georgia 20, Georgia 2012, best one I've ever been in. But what, um, what what did you think of the atmosphere comparatively? And you are currently muted, by the way.
1: I think your perspective always matters too. So actually for this game, I was way up high, uh, which I'm not. I'm normally in a lot of different spots. This one I was way up high, I think 3.02. And uh, we had some friends, actually, Wes, that don't normally get to go to their games. It was their, first, it was their kid's first ever game. Pretty good way to intro them. So they got to see all the pregame stuff, the lights, all that jazz. Got to see that. They were absolutely blown away uh, by the game. Had a great time, which is really cool. So we needed a bunch of seats together. So we were way up high. Uh, That was just the easiest way to find them. So I think the perspective is a little bit different than if you're say in the student section, or even if you're down low, you know, the, the sound can be different, but what it was was an amazing view of the game and an amazing view of the entire stadium. So I'm really glad that we, we sat there. Um, I, I don't know if I'll ever put a game on par with Georgia 2012 because we were, I think we were like lower bowl for that game. And I don't think I've seen anything like that. It was just a complete collective just mind blow. Uh, but this one was up there. I mean, it was a really, really good atmosphere. It was pretty packed out. It was loud. Uh, the reaction to that touchdown was incredible. It did It did probably kind of compare to a painful memory here for, to that 2017 Kentucky game Like, that we continue referencing when Debo Samuel scored early. They got an interception early in that game. They ultimately ended up losing, right? But uh, I think it was similar to that early. And credit to the fans because they did even when South Carolina hit some adversity, they continued, you know, to be loud. And it obviously did have an effect on a And M offensively because they made a lot of mistakes.
0: Yeah, man you could you could tell first of all, like pat yourself on the back, guys and girls, because you could you could tell on TV, like. You obviously don't get the full feel of it on TV, but just the reactions from the SEC Network crew. You could tell they had not been in an environment quite like that this year. And uh, obviously, the kickoff return, it was already at, it felt like at a pretty high level the kickoff return just ignited it completely, but I thought I thought the crew did a great job by the way. You know, a lot of times you hear people talk about the announcing crew just to say negative things. But, um, you know, Tom Hart, Jordan Rogers, Cole Kubelik, they all did a fantastic job sort of bringing the uh, the game to the people out there. And um, I-, I think just the state fair, like the whole scene, uh, like some of those shots where they pan down on williams Bryce, the fairs in the background, the roads were still packed with people, um, I think, trying to get into the stadium. And then um, the lights are going crazy. Like, By the way, they can't even do pregame shots anymore. They're going to have to adjust because they're trying to show Haynes King and talk about him, and the lights are, like, going out and going on and going out and going on and going on it. So uh, the atmosphere, it was a circus in the best way possible. And, um, you know, there there are times you see teams come in and they sort of absorb it and no matter how loud you get. They just are like robots almost. They just go about their business. Mm-hmm. That was not – this was not one of those times. Like <laughs> the and right. was absolutely shook early on. I've never seen a snap get snapped and then batted straight to the uh, opposing defensive line. Um, it went eight false starts. I mean, it, it was just – the fans absolutely played mm-hmm. – a tangible part in Carolina winning this game. Not just one of those, oh, you know, we fed off of it. Right. I think the fans were a factor in the winner and loser of this football game.
1: Yeah, I mean, you had the what, – what was – false start on their first play, right? I think so, uh, yeah. it
0: was It was bananas.
1: Yeah, false start on the first play. Little nod to Steve Spurrier. No, that'd be a timeout on the first play. Sorry. Um but, yeah, false start on the first play. You had, yeah, the weird – how about, dude, Tonka Hemingway – find a way to get Tonka Hemingway the ball. We're talking about Marshawn Lloyd. Tonka Hemingway making the first man miss, like, every time, 100% of the time he gets it. Um, crazy play. And that, look, that's a play where it's a miscommunication. I listened to Jimbo Fisher try to, you know, explain what happened after the game, but you're going up to the center to tell him something, and guy snaps the ball. And – um you know, crazy bouts, and and you get it there. But no doubt it played a huge role. Um, Haynes King's a guy that he hasn't – he's not a senior, but he's played a good bit of football. Um, A&M has some youth on that team. They're missing some guys, but they they clearly just didn't handle the environment or handle the moment well. We've talked for so long, Wes, about South Carolina starting fasting games, and this is now two straight games, you know, where they have been able to do that. and look, here's the other part. Yes, they started fast against Kentucky and A&M, but they also didn't put away either of those teams early. So they hit some adversity. Then they were able to come out and continue playing well and make the plays when they mattered, which I think was another mark of how much this team, you know, has improved from last season.
0: Yeah, it's a mark of growth, I think, uh, both for a team and a program in general, I think. And Oh man, there's so many places we can take this, and I am the world's worst about staying on topic. Um, I want to. I can talk about Tonka Hemingway. You brought him up for like 30 minutes. Um, for one, he he's lately he has found a way to get the football in his hands. It seems like, and um, also he's playing by far the best football of his career. Um, and I didn't plan to go this way yet, but it's kind of naturally taken us there. The defensive line maybe is a little bit overshadowed by some of the other things that happened in this game constant pressure on a m's quarterbacks it reminded me of some of those defenses that south carolina had uh, you know back in the glory days of the spurrier era where there was just they were constantly it wasn't you know necessarily that you're always getting there it's not that you're always gonna get a bunch of sacks but you can affect the quarterback hannes king a couple of times actually did a fantastic job of um Getting out of there. He had a great play on the touchdown throw in the first half. But these um, he, got, you know, Gilbert Edmond thrown into the fire. Um, I guess it's been about a month ago now. He's responded. He's actually one of my favorite players to watch play. Uh, Jordan Birch got a um, a defensive MVP award from the staff for his game. Zach Pickens has, uh, I think, is playing the best ball of his career. And then you bring on Tonka as well. Those guys, Chris, have just been fun to watch. And if they can get their opponents in passing situations, which they've done better and better at doing, they they actually – I think we have enough evidence now. They can get after the quarterback and affect
1: teams in that way. And, and here's why we've had this conversation a few times this year. If you're going up and down the NCAA rankings, if this is how you analyze a team and say, oh – they didn't get a sack in this game, or they're this in sacks. You have to contextualize that. They didn't have a sack in this game, but did they affect the quarterback? Absolutely, constantly. Um, and that was, you know, in rushing throws sometimes, causing errant throws. Um, there was a play where A-chain was wide open in the flat, and what a ran for a ways, they tipped the ball because they got after the quarterback. Uh, we saw it through rushing four. We saw Clayton White send some timely blitzes from the nickel spot that uh, that got South Carolina going um, and, and were able to pressure, uh, whether it was Haynes King or the backup quarterback, Connor Wigman. We saw both of those guys get pressured. So back-to-back weeks, and, and here's kind of another big picture point, Wes. Kentucky and Texas A&M, when they've been on these runs against South Carolina, particularly the last few years, they've been the aggressors on the lines of scrimmage. They've dominated South Carolina's offensive line defensively, and their offensive lines have dominated South Carolina's defensive line. Now back-to-back weeks where South Carolina's been able to flip that script. So with Boogie Huntley being out the last few weeks, that has had that has given Tonka Hemingway an opportunity to rise up. Like you said, he's playing his best ball. The edge guys are playing too many snaps still, Wes, but – it's really a testament to them and to the staff that they played basically the entire game, Birch and Edmond, and were still able to play at a high level. And they were also the catalyst, West, not only for being able to get after the passer, but just what they did up front in the run game. Huge key coming into this game was to limit A-chain. If he gets 100 yards, okay, but how does he get to it? You had to avoid the 75-yard A-chain touchdown run or the 60-yard run that instantly flips the field in one play. And they did that. He had a 30-yard run. He had a 15-yard touchdown run. Other than that, it's single digits. Um, And so their ability to control him was huge. And here's the most telling stat, I think, maybe of the game. Five missed tackles for South Carolina. That was it. Lowest tally of the entire season. That includes even Charlotte and SC State. Oh, that is a great stat, man. It
0: it did – it feels like, you know, A&M did move the ball. Like, uh, credit to them, they moved the ball. But it it felt like, A, South Carolina was able to get off the field on some third downs and force, obviously, punts and field goals. And, um, you know, I thought they got off blocks pretty well. They played the run for the most part uh, soundly as far as getting into their gaps and stuff like that. And um, we are seeing this team, I think, improve in their ability to stop the run. And uh, this is an AM offense that has struggled coming in, but the running game was one thing they really could hold their hat on coming in. So, keeping A-chain just – you know, he got his yardage, but uh, didn't have a huge day. Went for over 150 last year on the ground alone. So, um, you know, that that was impressive to see. And I just – I like the aggressiveness of Clayton White. Like, he he reminds me – y'all know the play on NCAA football back in the day where you get in nickel and you just send both linebackers – right into the a gap and you play man coverage on the outside it's not quite like that but it feels sort of like when when all right when carolina has momentum on defense send pressure when they need a big play send pressure when it's neither one of those two things send it's just like all right we are gonna send pressure all game long and then you know there'll be a few times where you know i'm gonna show some pressure and then drop back and try and see if i catch them you know, maybe throw a ball into a window where they're not expecting a defender to be. But for the most part, the default is send extra guys. (laughs) And to me, man, that is fun. Like, that is fun to watch. Like, I don't, as well as this defense has played at times, and as much as they, the last two years overall, you got to say they've played above their heads, I think. I don't think this is a defense that could just sit there, rush for, you know, we're just going to play straight up, um let the talent take over. Yes, it's a pretty overall simplified defense, but they keep coming at you and they keep sending people. You're going to give up some big plays every now and then when you do that. But if you make tackles, um you know, then then you're you're probably going to be fine and I think they thrive with this aggressiveness. There was a play and I haven't rewatched it, so I can't place this play. I think it was pretty late in the game where it was a third and long and um Carolina brought brought the house, and I, I think Cam came off the edge. And um, their quarterback did a great job of getting the ball out. I think it was on a wheel route. And actually gave themselves a chance to get the first down. And uh, But it was one-on-one. They're running back against Carolina's DB. He makes the catch. If he makes one guy miss, then they have a first down on the third and long. But Carolina made the tackle, um, put themselves in a fourth down. And you're like, okay, you can send pressure like that if your guys can make open field tackles. And, Chris, I feel like tackling is one of those things. I'm so glad you brought that up because I didn't realize that stat. It's one of those things people bring it up if you miss a bunch, Mm
1: -hmm. but
0: then it's almost like a given or it's kind of like an offensive line where we don't really acknowledge it when they tackle great. So five missed tackles against a team that has a guy like
1: A-Chain is
0: uh, pretty impressive.
1: A-Chain, you know, Evan Stewart, even, you know, Haynes King is a mobile quarterback. And, you know, early it it looked like, I mean, South Carolina was playing a lot of man. Jimbo Fisher was trying to dial up, getting some mismatches that he he thought he liked in the secondary. And sometimes they got him, but they were able to get guys on the ground. If A&M's catches were contested, there weren't a bunch of guys running wide open up and down the field. I mean, everything looked difficult. And, As a defense, that's what you want. You want to make the receivers make contested catches. If they make a great throw under pressure and a receiver makes a one-on-one play, you can live with that. You don't want guys running wide open down the field. You don't want guys making you miss in the open field. Even late, Wes, you think about when Connor Wigman came in, the backup quarterback, you know, he made a couple shorter throws on a second and third down that it was one-on-one in the open field. Uh, Little stick routes, I think. Carolina misses one of those tackles You probably got a first down and now everybody's sweating instead they stopped them instantly. And so I thought it was an outstanding performance. I mean, that, that just, I mean, look, Charlotte and again, Charlotte and SC state, you miss less tackles in this game uh, than you did against those teams. You think about earlier in the year where they missed 21 tackles or something against Arkansas. It's a group that I think has gotten more and more comfortable and certainly they're playing better. And, uh, you know, what they did in the open field reflected that on Saturday. Yes. I'm trying to like, I
0: guess, uh, compress this game into some concise thoughts, which is very difficult for me, but I, I, I did an interview earlier today with someone else. They were asking Gamecock Central's thoughts on the game. They said, who are your players of the game from this contest? And uh, I was like, that is a good way to sort of just knock out all the noise and, you know, Beamer gave out, you know, the the staff's players of the game yesterday on Sunday teleconference. But I tried to dial it down to one guy for each side of the ball. And for me, I came with Marshawn Lloyd on offense. Pretty easy one lately, I feel like. Darius Rush on defense. Um, you texted me, man. I mean, the big play early on, but it's so much more than that. Darius uh, all over the field, it feels like playing the best ball of his career. He's actually either the highest graded or second highest graded guy for the team this season on PFF on defense for the guys that actually play a lot. And, um, you know, Darius could get a special teams reward as well. He makes plays on special teams. But you had to go Xavier really this week um, kickoff return for touchdown. And going down there making tackles on the kickoff team as well. Um, is there is there anybody else you want to throw into that mix? Is there anybody you would put above those three in their respective uh, facets of the game?
1: I don't I don't think you could, man. Um, especially with rush. I mean, it, that was such a game changing play. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a it's a one on one play the technique i loved on the broadcast they showed kind of the the overhead like the drone view his technique could be you know displayed in a museum or something i mean it, it was amazing technique read the ball and then finish the play not just a breakup which should have been the worst outcome there when you play that good a technique should have been a breakup he makes the play uh would have loved to see him getting ends on there but you know, returns it, and South Carolina is able to get more points out of it. That That's a huge, you know, momentum swing in the game. So I thought that was huge. Leggett, yeah, I mean, look, A-Chain, that was kind of a hold-your-breath moment. South Carolina had done a really good job of kicking the ball through the end zone because A-Chain not only is one of the best backs in the country, he is an electric returner. Uh, you think back to even uh, – I think he had a long return earlier this year um, in a game. He can he can get it done there, and so you see the ball kick short, and you're going oh boy, and Xavier Leggett comes in with the with the flying clothesline, gets that done, and Marshawn Lloyd man yeah I think you got to go with him, um, just again making people miss has a knack for finding his way into the end zone, another great performance from him. I thought you know there's some other guys that certainly deserve shout outs. Thought Cam Smith played very well again defensively. Uh, Javon Gwynn on offense Austin Stogner I thought had a really good game as a blocker and some critical catches as well in the game so uh overall man lots of guys that are probably deserving of, of shout outs but I'd agree with you there
0: yeah lots of people in the chat saying Kai Kroger it's almost a given at this point man I mean if there are better punters there can't be better many better punters than Kai Kroger as far as everything he does for his team um you know, I, I, I would say the D-line, somebody said D-line as a whole. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I don't know if I can put any of them above those three. I mean, those three sort of set the tone for the entire game, but on their respective side. But certainly, I mean, hey, Josh Van coming through with a couple of really, really big catches when it was needed the most. That that was one thing that I thought was a huge positive for this offense, Chris, was, yes, there were some very ugly moments. Yeah. Um, you know, early on, a little bit of the grumbles over the offense, I was kind of like, well, the offense really hasn't had a chance to actually go play offense in a normal situation. You know, the the three and out where they had to kick the field goal um, coming off of that interception, a little bit of a deflating moment, I think, but Carolina quickly pulled the momentum right back their way with the Tonka Hemingway turnover. But um, – you know, for the most part, it was it was like the second quarter almost before the offense actually got the ball at a normal spot. And it was like, all right, go, go run your offense. Go run your scheme. This is not a situational opportunity. It's more just try to drive down the field. They had that. We talked about this off the air. They had a big play um, partially wiped out by a uh, personal foul at the end of a play where the the pile's just kind of getting cleaned up a little bit, I guess. And that call is not going to be made ninety-nine percent of the time, I think. You see, you know, a guy hits somebody like as the whistle is blowing. That's normally not a flag in an SEC football game. So there were some things that kept the offense from finding a rhythm early on, but that drive to put them up two scores late in the game. The the early 17 points, I feel like had like re- that, they had held up as long as they could hold.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: Carolina only up by three at that point. I guess it would have been 24 21. They drive down, they score when they need it most. Lloyd makes some plays. Josh Van had a big catch. They go back to the Jalen Brooks uh, uh, reverse, a little bit different setup on that one this time, but same concept. And basically, They got the drive they needed when they needed it. So yeah, we can talk about the negatives of the offense, but at the same time, I think we got to give credit for that drive when it was really needed.
1: Yeah, I I think that should really be more of the focus, man. It's just um, that there's a lot, there's so much you can always pick apart, win or lose, which we will do. But you know, before we get into even more of that, um, the the positives of the game are that South Carolina again they started fast yes but they did hit adversity and a lot of that they caused for themselves when they didn't really need to uh but credit to them for coming up i mean that was a huge drive. that and that was also west that was an 80 yard drive Mm -hmm. to go down there take the lead then you make it more interesting because you get the extra point block which beamer wasn't happy about rightfully so so they definitely made it interesting down the stretch but uh just when they had to come up with a play they did it and i think That was this was not the type of game that we've seen South Carolina win a lot over the past few years, and so I think that should be the main focus: is how were they able to get that done? Why were they able to get that done? And I think a lot of it starts with kind of you know just the belief and the culture that Shane Beamer has created. A lot of teams are going to talk about culture and things like that, and I think he's really. Not only taught to talk, but walk the walk, and, and I think you can look at like look at some of the guys that had a huge impact in this game. It's a lot of the normal names, Marshawn Lloyd, and all these other guys we're talking about. But you know, think about Xavier Leggett, who had a very bad game. Let's face it, against SC State. Well, they put him out there on kick or turn, he comes through. They put him on kick team coverage; he comes through. Josh Van has not been heard from for much of the season. He comes through with some big plays. DeKaryon Joyner has not had the year I'm sure he would like to have, or maybe that fans expected. He's out there throwing key blocks on the kickoff return. Um there, you know, Jaheem Bell, fans are wondering why is he not getting more snaps? I know Jaheem would like more snaps, but he's engaged. He's throwing the Gatorade bath on Beamer after the game. I think these things count that they've been able to keep not only their starters but guys that have maybe smaller roles or maybe diminished roles. They've been able to keep those engaged and those guys engaged, and so that belief, uh, that closeness and togetherness, I think that does you know count for something. I don't know how I started talking about that, but I thought it was an important point. No, it is, man, and I I
0: think uh, you know part of the reason going in, I um, I was hesitant to pick South Carolina was just I wanted to see if this program, not just this team, if this program could handle going out there. And Be- Beamer even, he alluded to it, but the the interview with Cole Kubelik right after the game, and he was saying it as a compliment to the crowd, how he said, you know, I told the guys, this crowd is not going to win this game for you. Um, and then he was sort of saying, well, maybe I was wrong, just to compliment the crowd. What Beamer said, when, what he meant when he said that, basically was, guys, the, the fans can go lose their minds. You can't. You have to stay in the moment. You have to stay even-keeled. Stay focused. Use the energy of the crowd, but don't let it get you out of your normal thought process. And I think we saw too many times in big games, um, I don't think this is a generalization. I think we truly saw it. We saw big, winnable games at home during the Champ era. Where South Carolina did not play to their potential, did not play well, and they did, could not either get off to fast starts or they couldn't capitalize on fast starts. Um the the Kentuck that Kentucky 2017 game just keeps coming to mind, right? Well, you you also you scored on the first offensive play, Debo Samuel of that game. The place is losing their mind. They are ready to believe. And then you actually Chris we were talking about this with somebody on Friday. You you actually got a turnover as well. Yeah. And I think had to kick a field goal against Kentucky and I think missed the field goal even. There there was some there were opportunities to really take a lead on Kentucky in that game. And some people are saying why are you talking about a game from 5 years ago? But point being just the ability to control your emotions with the circuits going on around you um, is a skill, and it's something I feel like you have to learn to do. I was impressed with this team's way of channeling that, channeling the energy in the stadium, playing well off the top. But then you didn't put A and away. You couldn't put them away. You would have loved to, right? But it is a much different conversation. To not put them away, but still find a way to win, versus us sitting there saying what could have been, um, you know, and finding a way to lose the game in the end. So, I think this is a you could look back if Carolina continues to trend upwards and say this is a turning like this is a turning point for this program. Probably the last two games, you you could look back on these and say man those
1: really just jump-started this program for what is to come yeah and it's created a lot of belief and i totally agree with you that um you know th- th- there was no like feeling maybe some of the fans were thinking it of the here we go again i mean i'll i'll, I'll freely admit i was wondering it you know sitting there watching the game when they didn't put a m away when they bring it to 17 to 14 you know late in the game when it's 24 21 you're thinking are they going to miss this opportunity? And you start thinking about just just how painful that would be because of how you started and the opportunity that's in front of you to, to do so much, so all the big-picture things that we talked about at the beginning of the show, really, um, but they didn't. And the fact that they were able to stick together and find a way to get it done. And here's the other thing, Wes. Like we're thinking about the start and how great this – you couldn't draw up much of a better start than that. They didn't play very well in a lot of spots in the second half right to where they could have put this team away not only early, but they could have put them away late too. Uh, You think about – look, A&M, 10 of their points were off of South Carolina turnovers in their own territory. It was a lot like how A&M stayed in the game against Alabama. They scored points off of Bama turnovers primarily. And so two of South Carolina's drives in the second half were one-play drives. It was the Spencer Rattler fumble on the pass attempt. Left tackle gets beat. Ball doesn't come out. Comes out when he gets hit. A&M takes that. I think they got a field goal off that one. There was another one The Juju McDowell loss of four, and he ends up fumbling. They review it. It's a fumble. A&M gets it. They score a touchdown on that one. Ten points. Uh, Spencer Rattler steps up, throws an absolute seed into the end zone. Jalen Brooks has a couple steps on his guy. Kind of an awkward catch because he's got his back – Probably should have called it. Got banged up. Fortunately, he seems okay. Uh that there's another touchdown there that they don't end up getting. I think they had to punt on that drive. So this team didn't even play up, is what I'm trying. I'm trying to get to a point here. Team did not play even to its potential.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Which is kind of we keep talking about every week. Has the offense played to its potential? No, I don't think so. But in a way, maybe for the fan base, it's kind of exciting that they could play better. And I still think the number one thing they have to do is eliminate the turnovers. They're still, even in turnover margin, what could this offense do and what could this team be if they could eliminate the turnovers and be more positive in that category?
0: Well, I think from a Carolina perspective, the disappointing thing about those turnovers was, you, you dare say, especially the last one, uh, when Rattler got hit, you dare say that's the only way A&M is really getting back in this game. Yeah, um, Or you make it very, very hard on them if you're just making them go um, the length of the field. And, you know, with Kai Kroger punting, like, I don't want to get into, like, a Lou Holtz. Like, I, I would never say, you know, a punt is a great play. But the way the game was going, you kind of said – You know, you don't even have to flip the field with Kai Kroger. You just have to get a couple of first downs, and then he booms it and pins it at the 10. So, you know, I think you looked at this game, and you said the only way they're getting back is if you help them out. And South Carolina did it twice. Two times where it looked like they were about to maybe bury A&M, you'd let them right back in it. And so, you know, there's a lot to point to if you're the staff. Where And maybe it's a good thing, Chris, because we know they're going to get patted on the back all week long on campus. They're going to be told they're great, top 25. This is a Missouri team that has an incredible ability to both be close in every single game they play and to get beat in just about every game they play. So I don't know how they do that. But this is going to be a tight game again. So they're going to have to go make plays, not let up. There's plenty you can point to on tape. In the film room, to show the guys, hey, it's we're not there yet. Basically,
1: yeah, I don't know if it's so much a blessing that there's that. What we know, a little, look, bit, a little bit. Shane Beamer is here's one thing that I feel like we know. Uh, pe- people, I'll put myself in it. We always want to know something immediately. What's up, Kendall? And we don't always know it. You have to like get some some data like there has to be some time that has to elapse you have to have more than two games right that's why after georgia state i was trying to scream we don't know yet what this team is remember how this team was just oh they're not very good they won't win any games you got to figure it out you got to go through the season one thing that i think we know about shane beamer is he is good at getting his team motivated he's good at taking things whether it's like a slight or a perceived slight against him or the team and motivating them. Um, I think even though he downplays some of the things about like the Kentucky game going in or the A&M streak, I think he's good at channeling those things and and using them. But I think he's also pretty strong at letting his team know and letting the fan base know that they're not satisfied with certain results. So that's why he can stand up there after an awesome – Win an awesome locker room celebration and be really ticked off about getting a, an extra point blocked, you know, and pointing out the turnovers and uh, just different things that happen within the game. So, um, I think that is probably part of the maturation process of this team, of this program in general. Because again, we have seen them stack more of those good moments this year than they did last season. And so, next week, is just another test of that. Can you keep your team motivated? I think so. But can you get the things that you need to correct corrected before the Missouri game?
0: Yeah, I feel like they've found their momentum a little bit earlier this year as well. So you it's kind of a little bit before the season got away from them last year, and it felt felt almost on the brink at the midway point last year. Um, ironically, after the AM loss at AM, and they sort of regrouped, went into the bye week and came out and, and got some of those big wins late in the year against Florida and Auburn. But um, they, they found themselves a little bit more. They found what they're good at. I think they, you know, dare say, found a little bit of an identity on offense. Uh, there's one comment, Chris, that, uh, and I'm trying to find somebody mentioned it. I think it was Justin mentioned it in here, but it's, Justin is not alone. I've seen this discussed. I've even seen this in a headline. Um, the Beamer comment, about I told Satterfield, um, and I'm paraphrasing, I've told him to just get the ball to our best playmakers. Basically, if we're going down, we're going to go down with those guys getting the football. And I don't know, man. I I don't really feel like that's some huge, like, it's been taken by some people as how do you have to tell your offensive coordinator to give the ball to Marshawn Lloyd? which I get, you know, there were times in the first half where you're saying, why did one not get the ball? And, um, you know, fresh off the interception, the Darius Rush interception, if it's me, one has got to touch the football. Um, however, the numbers in the first half were skewed a little bit as far as Lloyd goes, because they were actually rotating backs a little bit more than they have been. And they d- the football was... They didn't actually touch the football on offense drive one because of Leggett, and it was a short field the other two drives. So the numbers and the touches were skewed a little bit if you're just blindly looking at the numbers. I took that as Beamer just – it was just a reminder. Like, hey, we have all these other things that are in, right? Like, we probably have all these other plays for this game that are designed to kind of spread the ball around, get the ball to different people. How many times have people said – this year, as a criticism, oh, you can't spread – why can't they spread the ball to Wells, um, Van, Brooks, Lloyd, um, Jaheem Bell, Stogner, Stogner, why can't Stogner, you spread the ball around?
1: Carry on, Joiner.
0: Yeah, that's Stogner, been a criticism like all year long. Right. You know, so, I think it was just a reminder of, hey, let's force the ball to these guys late in the game. I don't know if you – can run your entire offense around just forcing the ball to these guys for an entire season. You There has to be some balance in moving the ball around. I think this was just a, hey, we're in this thing right now. It's a tight game. We're up by a little bit. Let's force it to these guys. I don't think that was some just, like, damning comment to say that. But it's been interpreted yeah. as just another – negative against the offensive play caller like to me chris like i'm not defending like you you have there's evidence you can use against the offense but mm-hmm. to me that's not that's not it that's not where i would go
1: yeah yeah and and so to I'll, I'll say this to uh i guess reassure the people that we're not just trying to to shill for somebody the the drive you mentioned right after the rush interception. Totally agree. Like, overthought it, in my opinion. Come out the next drive after the Tonka Hemingway fumble recovery and return, and you run it, I think, four or five straight times, and Lloyd's involved, and you end up scoring a touchdown, right? So, I, I thought it was an overthought, overthinking it on that second drive. I think, didn't they pass the ball every time, too? I don't think they ran the ball on that drive anyway, like, regardless, whoever's in there, Lloyd, Bill Smith, whoever. So that was an overthought to me. They corrected it that second drive. Um, so I will agree with that. And, and I am a proponent of getting Marshawn Lloyd the ball more than not, right? Like percentage-wise, you know, he's not going to get the ball 50% of the time in the offense or 75. But when you can get him on the field and get him the ball – and not get him completely beat up. I uh, I advocate for doing that. But I do think that that has probably that that's a comment that's taken almost totally out of context. We don't know what the conversation was. Right? It's almost like if uh Beamer had said, "Yeah, I told um I told Clayton White at halftime we need to make sure we pressure the quarterback." You know, right? Well, the defensive coordinator didn't think to pressure the quarterback. You know, like I I think it's kind of along those lines. Like, the conversation could have been anything. I don't think it was Satterfield going, I don't really know what to call. What do you think we should do? Um, And then, well, we should get the ball to Lloyd. Um, If anything, Wes, actually, I think one thing that we see from the offense the past few weeks is they have pared things down. Like, they've paired the rotation down. They've paired the personnel groupings down. They have done a better job of getting their guys in some situations that they excel at. Even Jaheim Bell with more than snaps. What does he do well? Well, you get him in space. Marshawn Lloyd, they've obviously done a, a better job with him, getting him turned around the last few games and being productive. I think they've paired it down for Spencer Rattler, where we're seeing him make better decisions, even if it's, even if that's a decision not to throw it, in the passing game, Juice Wells, they found some things for him. Jalen Brooks, reverses, deep balls. Um, now, did Lloyd need to touch the ball more in the first half? Yes, I agree. But I I, I do think that, content, that comment has probably been taken out of context. Maybe Beamer will address it. Satterfield, I have a feeling, will probably be asked about it tomorrow, Wes, and probably kind of talk about that. And, and look, one thing I think you credit him for, at least in his public comments, is he'll just straight up say, yeah, I overthought that one. We should have gotten the ball to number one. You know, um, I think you can have both those things. I think it can be, yes, Lloyd should have gotten the ball more, but I think it can also be, it's not like it was some novel idea to, to get, the, get the ball to Marshawn Lloyd just because Beamer said it at halftime. That conversation could have gone in any number of ways that none of us heard.
0: Yeah, not, Chris, I um, hope I'm not muted. I'm not. Um, I was trying. I was trying to go through some stats while you were talking um, and see just how. Uh, and, and yeah, agree uh, as you said, and as Justin says here, Sat owns it. He, I you mean, know, top to bottom, ever since he's been here, he said, "Hey, I ever thought that," or um, you know, he'll say like we were pressing stuff like that. You've heard him say that before. Respect that completely. I I think they did, you know, we don't have to go all into it, but the short field five-yard line, you got to get the ball to one, um, you know, one of those plays. But for the most part, man, and and somebody responded to my comment about the numbers being skewed in the first half, um, and I was trying to do a little bit of research on that, but you had drives where you were on a short field, Um. The final drive. The final drive of the first quarter, Chris, um, was the fumble by Juju on the first play of the drive. So you have short fields, then you have a one play drive, then you go into the second quarter, and um a- AM AM kicks the field goal, right? I'm looking at the play by play right now. It's 17 to 6. South Carolina gets the ball back. They put Christian Beale Smith in. And um, so Christian Beale Smith has this drive as the running back. Like he's the guy for this drive. Your next drive by A M goes from 10 minutes left in the second quarter until two minutes left. In the second quarter, this was their just big. They took over on the six, marched it all the way down um, and scored their best drive of the game easily. So then South Carolina is taking over in a two minute situation where they're not going to be getting the football. They're not going to be handing the ball off. So absolutely in a vacuum, one should never go a half with three carries and. Um, and in that scenario, the the first that first drive at the five yard line, I know everybody in the stadium knows Lloyd is getting the ball, so that's probably why they didn't give it to him. But I'm giving it to him anyway. You know, like
1: well, here's here's one thing not to cut you off, but I want to make sure I get this thing because I want to get your thoughts on it within your train of thought. It just like reoccurred to me. So A and M had given up three rushing touchdowns all year all year they played bama they played arkansas they played i mean even like app state i mean they played some good teams giving up three rushing touchdowns all year and they were the number one red, zone, red defense zone defense in the conference and number two in the country overall now and i have i did not go through and log you know what's the defensive look they're giving or whatever in all those games, but it could have been, and again, yeah, this may be an overthinking it. It could have been that say, ah, well, you know, yeah, we punched it in on drive one, but drive two, this is what we expect them to do, you know? And, and so maybe you feel like from a matchup standpoint, you have something better in the passing game, you know, on that drive, maybe. Just a thought. No, I think that's an excellent point, man. It's, it's really easy
0: it is really, really easy to sit here and um, completely just, you know, it didn't work, it's silly, why didn't you give the ball to one? Um, those are great points. We're we are not thinking about that watching the game. Or mo- most people aren't thinking about it. They're saying hand the ball to one. Well, yeah, they, they you know, we talked about that in the lead-up. They've given up yardage on the ground. But like you said, three rushing touchdowns all year long. They've been fantastic in the red zone. Maybe Carolina worked all week long on red zone goal line beaters, basically. And maybe they had the exact looks they wanted and it just didn't hit. So when you do that, yeah, it makes you look bad if it doesn't work. But who knows, man, it, it may actually have been the right call. And I, I'm here. Here's the thing. I'm going through the plate. The uh, it's, The games are way different when you just look at them on paper as well. So, first quarter, first drive never happens offensively because there's a kickoff return. Second drive is the drive we're all talking about um, where uh, South Carolina didn't score uh, or, or had to kick the field goal. Next drive, they do run the football. That was the short field off of Tonka. Lloyd and CBS um, carry the load on that drive. They score. Um, Then, let's see. Really the only drive that there can be an argument about why didn't Lloyd touch the ball is the next drive, which is the one in between when they scored the touchdown with them touching the ball, and the one I just talked about where Juju got hit. So there's really only one In this quarter, there's one drive that is in between what we talked about a second ago, the juju fumble, then 10-minute A&M drive, then the two-minute drill at the end, right? And in that one drive that you can even look at, South Carolina, incomplete pass on first down, hands the ball to Lloyd for three yards on second down. Then they have the big throw down the middle to Stogner. That gets pretty much wiped out. Then, listen to this. The drop pass on the swing pass to Marshawn Lloyd. And then there was another run on the drive that was CBS. So, yeah, it looks bad when you just look at that halftime stat. But when I really go through it, like drive by drive, I don't know other than taking the ball at the five. Other than that, when you break it down like that, I don't know if I find a near as much fault as you would think on just off top. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. And I think, man, just to take it more general, I mean, this offense has – I will say it until I'm blue in the face. I'm very convicted of the fact this offense is a good bit better and more dangerous and more consistent even than it was at the beginning of the year. Go back and go back and what if you can stomach it, go back and watch the Georgia State game. It wasn't pretty. And then go back and watch even Saturday night, which wasn't always pretty. It's better. It's definitely better. Um, whether it's finding things that work more, I think Spencer Rattler is not pressing as much. And some people have rightfully pointed out in the comments that he's even seemed hesitant to make some throws at times or has thrown it away when he shouldn't have. You'd almost rather have that than what we saw at the beginning of the year, which is impressing it, sometimes making some bad throws. Um, you think about the fact that, I mean, they had, they had that Lloyd job. Jaheim Bell had a drop on what would have been a first down. The other side of it is Jaheim Bell had a couple broken tackles in route, route to a first down. Uh, you had the Brooks play that he couldn't haul in in the end zone that would have been for sure a touchdown. Um, there were some plays – that if South Carolina makes them, we're probably not talking about Lloyd's carries, you know, quite as much. It it is one thing, and it's an important factor in the game and going forward. Um, But I think if they can kind of, you know, continue to get better, if they can have maybe their best game at some point this season, maybe we're not deep diving quite as much into some of these things.
0: Yeah, definitely, man, and I. I probably went a little too deep on that one, but I, I did. We were kind of learning on the fly there. I, I hadn't really broke it down like that, but um, it was just a weird first half, y'all. Like this was not this was not just you rolled out there on offense and went three and out and punted the ball, and then they moved the ball a little bit and punted it back to you, and you just it was that was one of the more interesting, weirder games um, you know we, we've ever seen as far as South Carolina goes. Um, also, shout out to our good friends at Liberty Tax, another great sponsor of GC Live, 803-462-5576. Uh, if you're frustrated by keeping keeping up with your own bank statements or your QuickBooks, they have a QuickBooks Pro Advisor on staff. Uh, they can handle you your bookkeeping and your payroll services. You can just do what you do best. That's making money, making your business successful. You can let Liberty Tax handle the rest. they got a bunch of locations right here in the Columbia area, 1123 South Lake Drive in Lexington. 7467 St. Andrews Road in Irmo, and then 551 St. Andrews Road in Columbia. Again, 803 462 5576. Shout out to Larry for being a sponsor and a supporter for quite some time now of a GC Live. Appreciate you, Larry, and appreciate Liberty Tax. Um, we've, golly, we're almost out of time. Chris, I got to ask you this came up on Facebook. It was a controversy that I didn't realize was a controversy. because neither decision would have been bad, and Mm -hmm. I probably would have done the same exact thing South Carolina did. The game is 30-21 to Mm -hmm. late in the football game. South Carolina has the ball. It is fourth and one. I thought Lloyd got the first down when he ran out of bounds anyway, but he didn't according to the spot. So – Weirdly, before that, Jimbo Fisher did not call his timeout on first down. Seemingly that he was giving up. I don't know. They, they got to stop a minus four yard run on second down. Jimbo decides to burn his timeout. He had he had all three according to the graphic. So then Lloyd busts it to the outside, appears to get the first down, but steps out of bounds. Stops the clock. A&M doesn't have to burn a timeout. They they go for it on fourth down. A field goal puts you up 12, which is still a two-score game, though it is now a two-touchdown game instead of a touchdown and field goal game. A first down on the fourth and one literally lights out, ends the game, game over. You go from 99% winning to 100% winning. I will always go with give me a yard to win the game.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: The analytics actually say both decisions accomplish the same thing. That is like 99% and like basically neither decision adds or subtracts from your decision or from your chances statistically percentage-wise to win the game. Did you like the decision to run it? Did you? Would you have kicked it, or do you think it's so much of a toss-up that it shouldn't even be a conversation? The only reason I'm bringing it up is there are people in our Facebook page comments that are adamant that this was the worst decision they have ever seen, which I don't even fathom that. Like, it, it's such a toss-up, you can't feel that strongly about either side. Remind
1: mind. me, hey, and remind us how much time was left in the game, too. Okay, I'm gonna give you that. Um, give it, me one second. It's 30 to 21. It is 30. It is a nine
0: point game. Yep. And, Which is of course um, two scores. So it's already at two scores. It is fourth and one. Yeah. And a and M took over with a minute. Six in the game. So there was just over a minute six when that play started. AM had two timeouts.
1: And then they eventually drive down and get. They eventually goal. drive down because you went goal. into a
0: little bit of a prevent. Prevent,
1: you had to pre-vent yep. You they drive down.
0: They run out of time. So they kick the field goal.
1: And then you're already
0: talking about. Sorry, I keep cutting you off, Chris. You're already, you're already, <laughs> already talking about the chances of them driving down. Getting in position, making the field goal, getting the onside kick, yeah, getting a helmet—like y- your chances of winning statistically are literally ninety-nine percent, no matter what you do there. Yeah. Um, so here's
1: what I would say: I, I wouldn't have, if if Beamer would have kicked the field goal, I wouldn't have screamed about it and said that was a terrible decision. I think it—you could see either way. I would have gone for it, like they did. First of all, the thing I keep thinking about is the fact that they – it's still hard to believe Marshawn Lloyd did not get that first down because it's not like – like he should have gotten it. On the third you, down. On third down. But you you got to remember, they did have a point after blocked, and it was almost run back for what would have been two points. Okay? So when you think about that, you're sitting there when you're Beamer and you're ticked off about that happening, and you're like, well, guy, what if it happens again? Because they're definitely going to sell out to try to block the kick. Um, you make the kick, it's still just, like you said, a two-score game. So they're still having to drive the field twice. There is the difference there that they would need two touchdowns instead of a touchdown and a field goal, right? Which is the scenario we ended up seeing. But if you bank I don't know, just the odds, I try to go forward on that fourth and one and end the game and forget about all that other stuff. As it were, if you don't get it, they still have to drive the field twice and onside kick it with a minute left when they haven't done a lot on offense all game and two timeouts. I'm good. I'm certainly good with kicking it. And that's what I would have done. So you would have I'm kicked at. it? No, no, no. I would not have kicked it. I'm sorry. I would have gone for it, is what I was trying to say. I would have okay. gone for the yeah. fourth down. Yeah. And
0: yeah. The thing that people are ignoring is that, yes, it is easier to kick a field goal than it sometimes is to get one yard. But if you hit the field goal, which you probably would, but even if you do, that does not ice the game. Yep.
1: If you get the one yard, the game is iced. It is over. And then you uh, probably the other thing to think of, Wes, is they're actually going to be in better field position uh when they when they get the ball back. You also you kick, have to it to it, you kick it to A chain. You got to kick it to A chain. If you don't kick it out of the end zone. Now earlier they kicked it to A chain not to the back of the end zone and he called it and now you're going oh crap luckily mm-hmm. Xavier Legat WWE style clothesline. line but dude I'd I'd rather give the ball to AM's offense at like the 10 at their own 10 yard line than here's a kick to Devin A chain and he has wide open space honestly yeah so agreed if if it was an 8 point game I kick it because you
0: even, I'll take the risk just because yeah, I want to go up two scores. Nine-point game, I go for it every single time. And most of the time, more times than not, you're going to get it, you're going to down it, and nobody's even going to have the conversation. Yeah, It just so happens they had a huge mountain to climb, and they climbed part of it, but still the percentages were against them, uh, them being A&M, and um, – Brandon says risky call. I don't even think it was risky. It's not a risky – the percentages say 99% if – with either decision that you win the game. I'll put the ball in my guys' hands and say, go in this thing on offense. And if not, they got to go down the field twice um, and get an onside kick in between it. So, I really just – I didn't understand the the talk about – like somebody's response was, A field goal makes it a two-score game. And I'm like, no, it was already a two-score game. doesn't make sense. And South Carolina, weirdly, has had bad snaps on field goals and PATs this year as well. They have not been as consistent in that as they were last year. So that's another part. Bad things can happen. I think it was the right call. Either way, they won, figured it out. Huge win. We didn't um, we didn't have time to get into everything. Hopefully, we got into a lot of the things we wanted to talk about. I want to talk some recruiting next show because it was a big day for them and recruiting, big night for them and recruiting. And, um, hey, they put themselves in position, man. With every win, new opportunities arise. Huge opportunity against another beatable opponent, South Carolina a
1: five-point favorite against Missouri. Is that about what you thought it would be, Chris? Yeah, that makes sense. Given that, I mean, you said it earlier. All of Missouri's games are close. Doesn't matter if they're playing Georgia or Vanderbilt. Probably a one-score game, right? So they may have even uh, confused Vegas a little bit on that one.
0: Yeah, they've confused Weird me. I, uh, yeah. Poor, poor Dave Neal, man. They they always give
1: him those games, don't they? Every he had time in Missouri, I didn't even know he did. Oh yeah, Dave, what My, a trooper! My buddy
0: Chris Payne texted uh, in the the group text. He's like, he saw that you know Vandy and Missouri are playing. He's like, guarantee, Dave Neal has this game. I turn it on before perfect. the Carolina game. Yeah, sure perfect. enough, there's Dave. Dave Neal is great. He he's great. he is. I mean Jefferson Pilot Sports. Like he is. He is my childhood of watching football.
1: Oh, absolutely. It's, and they give great. my
0: man Missouri and Vandy.
1: He's just, he's a team player. I'm going to
0: start it. a petition of get Dave Neal primetime games.
1: Okay. I like it.
0: We're going to make that push. Uh, we're out of time, y'all. He's Chris. I'm Wes. Appreciate everybody tuning in. It's been fun. It's been great. Y'all have a good one, and uh, we'll see y'all later. It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane.